1: I don't mean geographically. Do you ever get lost in time? Sometimes I have trouble knowing what time it is. Daylight savings shifts are a big part of that. I could almost be a single-issue voter on the question of abolishing the semi-annual clock reset. And I think we're close. But it's also always been true that part of living in the South is not knowing what time of year it is, unless it's summer. Rare is the snowy, white Christmas they sing about. More common is this 70-degree Christmas. Of course, that's only becoming more and more true in our days of climate crisis with erratic weather patterns. We swing from 80-something to 20-something in 36 hours, and it's hard to know what season it is. Today is assuredly winter. At least it feels that way and my children are sometimes flummoxed, it, it can take me a minute to recall exactly how old I am. That number just it slips away. The time itself a little bit slippery. I can get turned around, feeling lost rather easily. So, I'm glad to count on the church, to color-code the seasons, and stay on track as we move around the calendar. We know if anyone will refuse to change, or arbitrarily reset something, it's church, right? (laughs) And even if it's hard to remember that the church's new year doesn't line up with the secular celebration, it is reliably there. The end and the beginning of something. It's grounding for us to remember that we are always moving through these moments of beginnings and endings, and the reliability of certain moments helps us find mile markers in lives where sometimes it's very hard to see if we're on the starting blocks or approaching the finish line. Because, well, our day-to-day experiences just don't line up that way. Today is the last Sunday of Pentecost, the end of the longest season. New Year's Eve, in a way. It's almost time to prepare for this season of preparation, that is, Advent, on next Sunday's horizon, New Year's Day, in a sense. But while the colors are in line and the bulletin clearly says, last Sunday after Pentecost, our readings? Chaos. (laughs) The passion story of Jesus, y'all? They're crucifying him, doing that casting Lot's business, mocking him, and asking for forgiveness, and it's November. <laughs> can tell I'm a child of the church. <laughs> for someone, please tell me I'm not alone, who already struggles identifying where I am in the story, it doesn't seem like church is helping much today. And I do think that I'm actually not alone, whether you're a lifer in this Episcopal liturgical world or not we are actually all collectively pretty bad at recognizing where we are in time. At the end of something, or at the beginning of something, it can be hard to know when we're essentially always in the middle of things, with very blurry edges. It seems like someone's been shouting that it's the end of the world as we know it, since the days of Noah. Noah. And consistently, through the ages, that pronouncement echoes with surprising regularity. And yet, here we all are. It's not over yet. On a smaller scale, I know that all too often I thought something was dead and over. A relationship, a job, something that I very much wanted to end, something that I very much did not want to end only to be surprised that it was actually just a turn. Simultaneously, it seems we want to often draw lines and say, this, this is new and different, when it's actually a continuation, the next chapter of a story that is linked with all that came before. So, here in November, at the end of fall, At the end of the church's year, I was at first thrown by hearing this story that I think belongs at the eve of Easter, not the eve of Advent. And yet this story itself is another one that reminds me how bad we are at seeing the larger ark, and even worse, at marking ourselves in the right place on that ark. It sure does look like the end, right? Dividing up the spoils and mocking the hope that seems to have crashed and burned on that hill. And yet we know that it's the eve of an entirely new, more beautiful chapter. That it's not the end of the story at all. And as we play this loop of the tape, even if it's mismatched timing, we are offered the profound gift of being told once again that we have no idea how the story will go. And that is a gift, friends. It is a hard, uncomfortable, merciful gift. The mercy of not knowing what will happen next. The mercy of not knowing where we are in the story. This mercy gently taps us on the shoulder and whispers, we might not be in charge of the timeline. And actually, it might not even be that much of a timeline. I don't like admitting that this is good news, but it certainly is. It's completely daunting to get lost geographically, and all the more so to consider the vastness of the world and the universe through which we're traveling, a universe which we're learning is bigger than the human brain can even fathom. And it's equally daunting to get lost in time when we're turned around and confused about what season it is. In that bewilderment, the same enormity, vastness, unpredictability, and looping prevails. It's not just that it's dark so early in the afternoon, but that dawnings and births can happen any old time even in that darkness. It's not just that we can't remember how many candles to light, but that we will laugh when we're supposed to be grieving, be surprised by losses that land at inopportune times, and wholly unprepared for so many holy moments. Somehow, In the mystery of all that is grand and grander, this Jesus, who we're looking at dying on the cross today, is the very same as the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created before all things, and in whom all things hold together. On occasion, I might be tempted to side with William Butler Yeats, who says the center does not hold, and that things fall apart and maybe stay that way. We may be flummoxed by the twists and turns of our quiet small lives and by the fluctuations and chaos of the big world around us. Yet here, there is a hard-to-swallow almost unbelievable promise that all things do hold together, in ways that pass all understanding, that things which fall down will be raised up, that what looks like the very end is often nowhere close. So we can hear the undercurrent of this promise in all kinds of places. It is woven through the circuitous stories of Scripture, again and again, people wondering about when and how. And it is embedded in secular messages, too. I wrote this sermon earlier than this morning, as you might imagine. And I planned now to to lift up two extraordinary projects Project Semicolon, which nudges us to take pauses instead of full stops when things look dark and bleak. And the It Gets Better project, a more than 10 year old project offering hope to young ones wondering if their sexuality would isolate them forever. These messages promising that we don't know how it might go, so stick around and see. And friends, we woke up this morning, and if you watched the news or heard a little bit, you may know that tragedy has struck the LGBT community in Colorado Springs. Violence again visited upon this community. And we sit here below this beautiful fabric sculpture that honors loss, and it is hard. It is hard to remember that things might go another way, that things get better, and that this promise abides. We just finished singing this promise. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame, before, from everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. A thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. So much encouragement to imagine a future that is beyond our imagining. Because we are poor judges at the length of the watch. Yet we practice nonetheless. Ending and beginning things, setting our clocks, changing the color of the hangings in here as the trees change their hangings outside, all the while recognizing how easy it is for us small-minded folks to get lost in big time. It's so hard to know where our small steps will lead us, how long this part is, when the thing that we're waiting for will come to pass, if ever. So we notice, and we wonder, and we watch for patterns, remembering that our finite minds will always bump up against infinity. This unnerves and comforts maybe in equal measure. We might not be able to name the moment, might not be able to grasp the big picture, might struggle, sometimes, to hold things together. That's okay. It's not actually our job to do all of that, mercifully.